Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Well, we're excited for another edition of the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Walter Storholt here alongside David Dickens, President and Wealth Advisor at KC Financial Advisors with an office in Overland Park. You can find us online at CoverYourAssetsKC.com. David, one of our favorite types of programs, it's the mailbag edition of the show where we're going to answer some listener questions on the program today. I know you always get psyched up for these. Well, I do. Uh, uh, first of all, that's what I, one thing I love about my business is a lot of it's answering people's questions. And so these are particularly fun. And, and almost always, when, when somebody, when we get one of these questions, it's like, oh, you know what? I just talked about this with a client a couple of weeks ago. So these, I think listeners will find these to be fairly common questions. And hopefully a couple of them are um, something that you're thinking about today, and we're going to answer it for you. Absolutely. We've got three good ones to feature. And by the way, if you ever want to submit a question to be featured on a future show, just uh, send us an email, ddickens at kcfa.com, or go to coveryourassetskc.com, and you'll see contact forms and ways to get in touch on the website. And uh, just mention in your question that you'd love it to be featured on the show, and we can certainly make that happen. Our first question of the week comes to us from Bo. And Bo says, I need about $5,000 to live on each month in retirement. And my Social Security and pension will total about 5300 Does this mean I'll be able to leave my entire 401k behind for my son? Okay, so Bo, this is a fantastic question. And it has everything to do with what's in your financial plan. So the, I think the answer is, <laughs> no, it does not mean that your son's very likely to have something. But there's a little thing called inflation that we don't talk about very often. And it used to be in the um, in the news all the time back in the 80s and 70s when it was really high. But these days we perceive it to be pretty low. But the long-term inflation rate, the 120-year inflation rate in America is 3.2%. Now, some of the stuff goes up and some of it doesn't. Uh, you know, bread and gasoline and milk and whatever you buy may go up faster than what your neighbor buys. But generally speaking, the stuff we buy is going to be more expensive 10 and 20 years from now than it is today. So, Bo, here's, here's the answer to your question. You need 5000 to live on each month today. At a 3.2% inflation rate, which is, again, the 120-year average, 10 years from now, that $5,000 a month is going to cost you 6800 a month. And 20 years from now, that is going to cost you $9,300 a month. Now, your Social Security has a little bit of a cost of living increase, but not much. So, and, and your pension, you don't mention, but unless you're a Missouri teacher or very few other uh, pensioners that I know of, your pension probably doesn't have any inflation protection to it. So 10 years from now, you may still be making about five grand a month, but it's going to cost you 6800 a month to live. And if you live another 10 or 15 years beyond that, it's going to be a lot more expensive. So, Bo, what, I would, what I'd encourage you to do is, first of all, don't, <laughs> don't get your son all pumped up about all the money he's going to get in your 401k when you die, because there may not be much left. But also make sure that your financial plan that you have includes an inflation calculation in it. Your health care costs are likely to inflate faster at a higher rate than 3.2%. And, you know, your, 
your bread and your milk and your, your gasoline may not go up quite 3.2%. But hopefully your, the model you use is good enough that you can do a good projection and give yourself the comfort that once your Social Security and your pension don't cover everything, where's that money going to come from? And what's the most tax-efficient way for you to get it out of the accounts you've set up for yourself? Hopefully that's helpful, and hopefully your son does have something left over at the end uh, when, whenever you do leave us, Bo. Yeah, that's a really good question, Bo. I mean, overall, though, I feel very positive about that kind of question, right, David? I mean, when somebody comes into you and their Social Security and their pension are exceeding their income need, I mean, that's in general a reason for celebration, right? It's just doesn't mean we can't touch, you know, the 401k at all throughout the rest of your retirement, but it means you're in a pretty good starting spot. Exactly. And, you know, we don't know anything about his son. His son could have, he could be disabled or something. So maybe it's super important to Bo that he leave a lot of money to his son. And that's an awesome thing. It's amazing when you start unpacking people's stories, what you hear about why they want to do what they want to do. So, mm-hmm. so Bo, we don't know any of that with you. Um, but you're, you are entering retirement Uh, as Walter said, in a terrific spot where your guaranteed income, your pension and your Social Security, are going to more than cover your expenses. That's an awesome way to kick off your retirement. No such thing as a normal family, right? Like everyone has something that their reasons behind what they do and who they're supporting and who's helping and all sorts of different layers to everybody you meet, right, David? Yes, we're all abnormal. It's just some are more (laughs) abnormal than others. (laughs) There you go. That's a great way to look at it. Uh, Bo, great question. Thanks again for sending that one in. Again, if you have any questions, you can talk to David directly about your situation, 913-317-1414, the number to call, or coveryourassetskc.com, the place to go online to get more info and ask questions. Uh, Let's go over to Shanna, who has our next question of the day. Shanna says, some people in the media say that I should invest primarily in mutual funds And they say I can expect annual returns north of 10%. I don't even need a return that big at my age, but I'm intrigued by the idea of it. Where do I find these funds? Okay, so Shanna, that's a good question as well. I want to temper your enthusiasm just a little bit. And in order to do that, I'm just going to throw a couple numbers at you. Um, First of all, a 10% compounded return over years and decades is extremely rare. I'm not going to say it can't happen, but it's not going to happen. Because if you're in these mutual funds that your friends are talking about, they're talking about stock mutual funds, not bond mutual funds. They're talking about stock mutual funds, I'm sure. And so stock market goes up and down and up and down. And more times than not, it goes up, but there are significant down times. So I, I ran a little num, uh, numerical example for you. And I'm not, I don't want to bog you down in a bunch of numbers here, but These are super important. Let's say that you had $100,000 and it earned a 10% return every year for five years. That $100,000 is now worth $161,000. But in the second example, you have the same $100,000 and it earns 10% in years one, two, and three, but the market goes down in year four, down 10%. And then the last year, another 10% return. In that scenario, where you only had one bad year, and it was only down 10%, instead of 161000 you only have 131000 left over. And if you back into what that compounded return is, that's actually only a 5.6% compounded annual return. 
So one bad year drops your compounded return from 10% down to 5.6%. If you're putting together a retirement model, for instance, and you're saying, you know, like, I mean, I like a lot of things Dave Ramsey has to say, but he talks about a 12% compounded annual return in your mutual funds. That is not going to happen. And when you put that in your model, what you end up with at the end of your life is more money than God. You have more money than Bill Gates. (laughs) 12% does a lot. That's not what's going to happen. Yeah. So don't put, when you're modeling out your investment performance over decades, do not use Dave Ramsey's 12% or your 10%. I almost always model these returns at about 5 or 5.5%. Because after you account for down years, that's about what you're going to have. And most of the models that you're going to get online are not going to allow you to account for negative years. So you have to put in a smaller annual percentage to try to bring a little um, realism to your projections. That's not even what you ask, Shannon. You ask, well, where do I find these? Here's my best suggestion. Again, we we don't give advice because I I don't know, Shannon, but but here's my best recommendation. (laughs) About 90% of mutual funds do not beat the market. And you pay a higher fee to have someone try to beat the market. So first of all, that's a good reason to not pay that higher fee. And secondly, most mutual funds do not have a mandate to get you out of the way when the market is crashing. What they want to do is beat the index. So if the, if the S&P 500 is down 35% in a year, and that mutual fund manager is only down 30%, well, that person gets a huge bonus. You, on the other hand, are down 30%, and you're not very happy about it. So I would encourage you... Make sure that you have a time horizon of at least three to five years on this money. So if if you need this money in a year, putting it into a stock mutual fund is probably not your best choice. If you have three to five years, I would encourage you to take a look at index funds. They're super inexpensive. They will mirror, for instance, the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones or the Russell 2000. If those things don't mean anything to you, Shanna, then you might find some help from someone who it does mean something to. But going into something that is going to follow an index, there you're not subject to a particular manager crashing the fund. But you're really going to have investment performance based on how well America does. And in most years, America does pretty well. So hopefully that is, that is instructive. Make sure you have a time horizon that's long enough, three to five years at least. Make sure that you have tempered expectations. You're not going to earn 10% a year compounded rates. And I would encourage you to stick with index funds. Hopefully that's helpful and real followable advice. That's a really good question, Shanna. Thank you so much. Lots to unpack in that one. That was enjoyable to hear you break it down, David. We had following media advice, touching on mutual funds, annual return expectations, and uh, re- what was it? Realized return versus um, the the other buzzword that you had there, David, about the, <laughs> the different ways we can calculate returns. Is I guess what? Yeah, I'm I mean, at. compounded annual returns will totally ruin. They will give you such a overconfident feeling about how you're going to end up at the end. <laughs> That's a dangerous um, calculation it's to make with an fantasy, online not real life. 
Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that one had a lot of good stuff in it. Thanks again, Shanna. All right, last question of this episode comes to us from Derek. We've covered a lot of ground already, and we'll switch gears here with Derek's question. Derek says, my aunt died recently and uh, left her house and some cash to me. I've never had a desire to buy rental property before, but I'm considering keeping the house as a rental property now that this opportunity has sort of fallen in my lap. Is that wise, or would I be better off to sell it and invest the proceeds? So, Derek, the one thing I would say right off the top is it's an investment either way. You're either investing the money in a rental house, or you sell the house and invest the money in marketable securities. So it's an investment either way. One is a particularly active investment, and the other is a, is a passive investment. So I own some rental property. I've talked about them on these, uh, on these podcasts before. So I'm a, I'm a big fan. But when you own one rental property, it's very unlikely that you're going to hire a company to help you manage it like you would if you had an apartment building. So you're probably going to be a do-it-yourselfer, which means you're going to find renters. You're going to collect monthly rent. You're going to paint when somebody moves out. You're going to fix problems with the air conditioner or the furnace or the roof. And speaking from experience, Derek, that stuff never happens on a Saturday afternoon when you're sitting around with nothing to do thinking, man, I wish my renter would call me with a problem I could fix. What's going to happen is they're going to call you when it's two degrees outside and say, hey, my furnace just stopped working. I need some help. So the returns in rental property should be higher if you're doing it actively, if you're actively managing it. And it's a good thing. You get tax deductions and et cetera. So there's a lot of good in that. The nice thing about passive investments, stocks and bonds and mutual funds and ETFs is you can buy them in three minutes. You can sell them in three minutes. You can get the money really quickly into your checking account. There's no upkeep on a mutual fund or on a stock. Now, you'll want to do ongoing research to make sure it's still as good an investment as it was when you bought it, but there's no, there's no upkeep. You don't have to paint or clean or rent or collect rents. I think, Derek, the answer is really there's no free lunch in investing. Uh, in either kind of investing, it kind of boils down to how much diversification you want and what your personal skills are. If you happen to be, you know, pretty good at some of the stuff that it takes to be a property owner, then having a rental property can be a really good diversifier. But if you're not good at that and you hate that and you just want something that will run itself, <laughs> I would tend to stick with mutual funds or ETFs. Hopefully, Derek, that was really helpful. I'm sorry about your aunt. And it was super nice that she thought of you to uh, leave a house and some cash to. So you must have been really important to her. Congratulations on that, and good luck with your decisions. You run into uh, similar situations like this, David, and sometimes it's more of an emotional question rather than even a financial one. Like uh, I, I remember hearing some stories about people who were maybe left a, a home and they didn't want to sell the home because of that emotional component saying, oh, well, this person wanted me to have the home. I don't feel like I should sell the home because they left me the home. And they deal with this emotional struggle of what do I do with this asset that someone passed down onto me um, or, or, or maybe like gifting stock or inheriting stock or something like that. Oh, my grandfather or my, my dad or mom really believed in this company and in this stock. 
um, should I, but, but I would feel bad about selling it. Uh, do you have to deal with that sort of uh, emotional side of the equation when it comes to inheriting certain things like this from time to time as well? I do. That, that's probably happened in less than 10% of the cases that I've um, helped people who in, have inherited things. But it is funny, and I've had them both. I've had <laughs> being property-related decisions and stock-related decisions. So, you know, uh, who knows if it was something that that parent or that aunt or that uncle said, or if it was just a feeling that the person who inherited the assets, they, a feeling they got over the years. But it is kind of funny how, how people process that differently. And most people just come in and say, I got this money, what should I do with it? <laughs> but every now and again, somebody comes in with that feeling of, I think I might need to hang on to that. That's okay, but what I always tell those people is it's highly likely that the person that left you that asset wanted you to have the asset that was best for you and your lifestyle and your needs. So make of that what you will. But I'm thinking of of me, the assets I'm going to leave behind. I just hope they benefit the people I leave them behind too and that they won't get caught up in the form of those inherited assets. Derek, again, thank you for that question. Again, lots to unpack in all three of our questions today. And if you have a similar question for David Dickens, something that's going on in your financial life uh, that you would like to have answered or want to address a little bit further, we don't have to feature those questions here on the show. You can ask them one-on-one to David if you prefer. The number to call to get in touch is 913-317-1414. If David can be a helpful resource for you, we certainly recommend that you reach out and give him a call, 913-317-1414. Or if you'd like to do it online, you can certainly go to CoverYourAssetsKC.com and get in touch with us through the website as well, CoverYourAssetsKC.com. And as I always say, the uh, links and contact information in the description or the show notes section of today's show. So check there if you need to find it. David, thanks for answering these questions for our listeners on the program today. Enjoyed it, and uh, we'll look forward to another good conversation with you a week from now. Yeah, those were great questions and uh, hopefully some decent answers that help somebody. I'll look forward to uh, next week as well, Walter. I think you helped some folks out today, no doubt about it, David. And uh, new episodes every single week here on the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. If you are uh, waiting for that next episode and you can't wait a whole week, Oh, we got a whole bunch in the tank, so go back and listen to some previous episodes. Learn a lot about the financial landscape around us and how you can better prepare. We'll have another great topic on the agenda next time around, right back here on the Cover Your Assets KC Podcast. Take care. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and KC Financial Advisors are independent of each other.